Kalimera, Kalispera, whatever time you are watching, this is Mappa. It's a very special edition, very, very special edition, because this is a gentleman I've been hoping to get on the podcast for quite a while because I'm intrigued by his project. I'm intrigued by what he's doing, especially when it comes to Cypriot football. I think he's making a massive wave in Cypriot football and it's going a little bit under the radar for those that don't really pay too much attention, but those who do... Now that Sophocles knows JSA scholarships. What are you doing, bro? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you on, man. Great to have you on. And thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy going back and forth from the United States. Am I correct? Yep. Uh, flying there on uh, Tuesday. Mm, those air miles are doing well then, yeah? Well, it's, it's part of the job, you know? Of course. Of course. Well, bro, I, you know, I mentioned your organization, JSA Scholarships. The obvious question is, what is it all about? I've checked the website, but as I told you before we started recording, I've come yeah. into this one completely alien to this because I, I want to delve into this because it's something that I am highly interested in in terms of whether it be youth development or being someone that works for an agency myself. I'm interested to see how other people operate. This isn't a spy mission, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> it's just something that I'm intrigued about. And obviously, you and I have spoken about briefly the separate national team very briefly and the development yeah. of younger players. And I'm sure there are going to be many coaches in Cyprus who have a vested interest in youth development and need to know what you guys are doing. Now, obviously I'm pretty sure a lot of these players have spoken to their coaches or their mentors, etc., and they, they have a clear vision as to what you guys are doing. But I think the potential for the development of our players is very, very important. And people such as yourself are doing what you can to help with that yeah yeah well just to you know um basics first i mean jsa scholarships essentially um what we do is help athletes mainly footballers but other sports as well um get scholarships in the us um so in america it's very different to to europe um the concept of an academy, for example, let's say the Los Angeles Lakers, there's no, you know, LA Lakers under 17s, under 15s, and then you get to the first team. It goes uh, high school, university, professional. So uh, it's the same for football um, or soccer, as they call it. Um, academies in uh, for professional clubs in US soccer is something very new. Traditionally, uh, the route has always been. Uh, high school, university, and then there's a draft like in other American sports. Um, and yeah, I mean, I started doing this uh, more of as a hobby whilst I was still in university, helping uh, friends get scholarships. And then um, after I finished university, basically this is what I've been uh, what I've been doing um, so far. I mean, from Cyprus, it's been over. Um, probably close to 40 footballers who've done this in the last seven eight years um and we've also expanded i mean we've had players uh from other markets as well um but yeah i mean it's a it's a great path um you know it allows you to keep your education going get a degree but also if you're good enough then in fact it opens more doors than you know, playing in Cyprus, for example, because you'll see guys like uh, Jack Harrison at Everton. He was at university, 
Matt Turner, who went from Arsenal to Forest this summer. He was at university. Um, so, you know, there's even Leicester City last January, they signed a player straight from university. Um, so it allows you to continue doing, you know, both your studies and your, your sport, whether it's football or anything else, at a very high level. This is something that blows my mind because speaking to obviously Thasso and other people that know about Cypriot football, I've always said to them, these lads that go to the United States, they're going to play college soccer because it's, it's a high level. I think people have this misconception about US soccer. I mean, I know about MLS, I know about USL and the NCAA and all these other leagues. And obviously it's, there's a lot of, I'd say there's a lot of pressure on youngsters to perform in the United States because they're all highly competitive, highly competitive. But then there's that developmental side of things. So I've always believed that these youngsters that go to the United States, they have a bigger opportunity to find the right pathway to a bigger club than if they were just staying in Cyprus. Now, this isn't a disrespect to the Cypriot League or the Cypriot clubs, but it just appears that players such as maybe Andreas Sava that left Omonia to go to the United States, he'll have a better chance of getting a move to a USL or an MLS club playing in the States at college level than he would in Cyprus. Yeah, I mean, realistically, the path for most Cypriot players, you know, I mean, okay, you've got your Loizu or Yannis Achat. You're going to have some uh, exceptions, but, you know, the vast majority of youngsters in Cyprus, the path is going to the second tier, getting, you know, I mean, the reality is the first year in the second division, they are not really going to play if they are going to a a team that's above mid-table. So you start off at the lower end second division teams, and then uh, you build it up, and then maybe after two, three years, uh, you get to go to a top division club. But... And guys have done it. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of guys that have done that. Dimitri Sadoru, Minas Andoniu, and, you know, uh, hats off to them. But the reality is our second division lack the facilities, they lack the conditions compared to what you have in the States. Because uh, in the US, you have the best facilities in the world, like literally better than the Premier League, better than 95% of clubs in Europe. You know, and they're as good as anything you're going to find. Like the the best university facilities are as good as anything you're going to find at Arsenal, at Chelsea, at Barcelona, and so on. So you have access to elite facilities. You have the support staff, you know, nutritionists, strength and conditioning coaches, sports psychologists. All that is available uh, to you, whereas in in Cyprus, it's up to the player to seek that, to pay for that, um, and so forth. Um, and the other thing is you get to play a lot of games. Whereas in Cyprus, I mean, even in the second division, if you look uh, at guys under the age of 21, they're not really playing. If there are teams that have high targets, they are not playing. Like this year, Krasava, you know, David Jamas not really playing. Okay, it's early and I'm sure he'll make it, but you know, it's not easy to get minutes at clubs of a certain level. Uh, also because of the reality in Cyprus, we don't have the patience. 
coaches have to face a lot of uh, job insecurity. So, you know, is the U.S. and the college system better than being in a professional academy, you know, in England, in Italy, in Spain? Of course not. But is it better than the path that Cypriot players had to previously go through? Yes, uh, 100%. So what's the youngest age you've taken over to the United States? Um, 2005. So this would be boys that go straight out of high school. At, right. You know, 17 and a half, 18 years old. Um, this year, there's two boys, um, Stavros Karalambus and Jorgos Kondilis, and they're both doing, you know, incredibly well. Because there's another misconception. People think that college soccer is going to be 18, 19, 20-year-olds playing. The average age is 23. There's players 27, 28 years old playing. So for Stavros and Yorgos to be playing so many games at 18 years old, every professional club in the U.S. has them, you know, under the, under the radar right now. That That's a, a really interesting point you've made there because... I know there are a lot of footballers right now who are perhaps looking for clubs at the moment that are, say, 24, 25, and they can't find the club, but they're also looking to get into education. So effectively, they can come to you and say, look, I want to study in the United States, but I also want to play football. Can you help me out? There are. So uh, there's no age limit. Um, there is, however, a limit to how many gap years we can have outside of education, but there are ways around it. Uh, that's the reality. So that's why um, you have a lot of players, uh, you know, maybe they're 22, 23, and they're freshmen in university. By the time they graduate, uh, they're 27, 28 years old. Um, so even though it's not so common, it, it has increasingly, you know, the average age of a collegiate soccer player it keeps going up and up because, you know, there's there's loopholes uh, to going around that. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what, this leads me on to my next question when it comes to the culture, Cypriot culture. And as you know, I mean, look, I don't know what it's like in Cyprus nowadays, but in the UK, a lot of youngsters that want to be footballers, their parents say to them, don't be stupid. It's not going to happen for you. Study, get your grades yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Leave football as a, as a hobby. And I'm assuming, I could be wrong, I'm assuming that the mentality is very similar in Cyprus as well. You know, go study, get your grades and that kind of stuff. So effectively what you guys are doing or what you're doing is you're catering to the pressure from the parents, i.e. they're going to get their education, but they can also play football at a good level and a developmental level. Yeah, I mean, look, um, the reality is for the vast majority of uh, footballers in Cyprus, this is the most they can get out of their, their talent. Because the average Cypriot player, his salary, I mean, it, the average Cypriot player essentially is someone who plays at the teams that get relegated or the teams that try to push for promotion. And players at that level, they make anything between... 15,000 euro to 35,000 uh, per year. So, you know, the reality, that's not enough to have a 
retire on that, you know, like you're going to need a job after football, you're going to need a degree. So uh, the maximum value they can get out of their talent, because they do make a lot of sacrifices to get to that level, is to go to the States, get an education and so on. And a lot of them understand it. I mean, uh, I can tell you, it's a lot easier to convince players as well, beyond the parents, than what it was uh, when I started, because you do have a track record, you do have case studies. Um, and also, I mean, it's been gradual, but players are better informed and they know what to expect in Cyprus. So um, if they're serious about playing professionally, you know, for example, Stavros, Yorgos, you live straight after high school. You have still a lot of room for improvement and it's up to them to uh, to make it, you know. Uh, but to your point, I mean, yeah, of course, the parents want um, to get an education and so on. The reality is that college soccer, in order to be good enough to, to play, first of all, you have to be a good player. The, the academic part comes second. That's, that's the reality. Uh, we're talking about playing at the highest level, Division One college soccer, on a big athletic scholarship. It's about being a good player. It has nothing to do with your, uh, your grades. Now, if you're a good student, like someone like Sava, of course, you're going to get into a top university. If you're a mediocre student, you're going to go to a lower level university. But in terms of the soccer, you have to be a, a high level player. And unfortunately, Cyprus doesn't produce a lot of players of uh, of that level, you know. It, it is a shame. And, you know, the, the two examples I can think of off the, off the top of my head who I believe um, went to the United States with your assistant was Costandino um, Cristo that was at Omonia. I think it was at yeah. Mount yeah. last season. And Andrea yeah. Vangelo, also from Omonia's academy. That, you know, Cristo, you know, I've... I've I haven't spoken to these guys face to face, but obviously on, on, on Instagram we speak to each other, we follow each other, and you know, Gostandino, I think his brother also plays for Omoni, if I'm not mistaken. Or for Map, is that is that Map on loan now? Is he there permanently? Yeah, I, yeah. I he's at Map on loan. Yeah, he's on loan. Yeah. So look, I, I'll give you Gostandino for example. Right? How how easy is it for him to get his move? to the United States if he has a contract with his club. And this just goes, not just for him, but for any other player. Because yeah. you do have a lot of them that sign, you see the announcement, they've signed the new contract till 2027. And then three months later, they're on the plane to the United States. How does that work? Look, the reality is the vast majority of uh, contracts nowadays, like a first professional contract in Cyprus, it can be anything from as little as 50 euro per month who like the best best paid players nowadays like first contract maybe it's going to be 700 euros so okay um a club is not going to prevent you from getting a free education because you sign a contract for 300 400 200 euro when you were you know 18 years old at the same time what i always tell the players if the club really does want you and they want to keep you, well, tell them, give me a proper contract. Because if they want you to be there and you're 20, 21, 22 years old and you're making four, 500 euro, you know, they're not serious about really counting you on you and being a part of the future 
um, and so forth. So it's never really been a problem, you know, uh, terminating that contract. Um, some clubs, you know, they want some reassurances that you will go study and you're not going to sign, you know, for our rivals the next day and so forth. And that's understandable. Um, but I think, you know, that to be honest, like off the record, a lot of the um, people in power, whether it be head coaches, technical directors at the clubs in Cyprus, they would tell me, you know, if it was my son, I wouldn't want him to stay here, you know? So um, it's never been an issue. And the reality is, the vast majority of boys that do go to the set dates, they will be players who sign professional contracts um, before going, not because you have to, but just because, you know, if you're good enough to go to the US, chances are you were a professional player before uh, before leaving Cyprus. So, so effectively, all these players that have gone to the United States, their contracts have been terminated or have they terminated. been put on hold? They've been terminated. That's interesting. And, and this leads me on to my next question, because let's say, for example, someone like, I don't know, uh, again, go, go, <laughs> go, I'm using Gostandino as, as an example because he's the yeah, first yeah. thing that comes in. But let's say, for example, someone like Toronto sign him. Yeah? yeah. And he goes to Canada, plays MLS. And the next thing you know, he's playing for, I don't know, PSV Eindhoven. I'm just being random. Here. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and, and you've got the financial transactions. At what point can Omonia turn around and say, well, hang about, we broke this contract for you so that you can go abroad uh, or the United States to get your education. Isn't there, I mean, look, I don't know the legal side of things. Obviously you do from that perspective, but yeah. do they have any kind of right to say, well, you are with us. We gave you that freedom to go. Now we're owed something because of the financial transaction be between PSV and, um, and Toronto, yeah. for example. Um, well, what applies is what applies in general to all players. So um, the club that developed you is entitled to 5% of any future transfer fee. It's the solidarity fee. So if any player were to sign and then, you know, signs in the MLS, then the MLS sells him onto a, another club, then the club in Cyprus would always be entitled to to 5% in the same way that, you know, when Abuel Solteros, Olympiagos was entitled to, uh, I think it was 4% was to Olympiagos and 1% was to Ethnicos Lachon because that's where Pierrot was when he was 12 or 13. So um, the clubs will always be entitled uh, to that money. Uh, now, in terms of a transfer fee, there's no transfer fee because you're a free agent. And that's why college players are so attractive to uh, clubs, both the MLS and Europe, because you can sign a player at 21, 22, 23. So they're young, but they're not too, too young. You know, they're ready to actually get in the first team and play. And they're free agents. So that's why you have, you know, beyond going to the MLS after university, um, there's guys that sign directly in the Premier League. Uh, Jacob Montes at Crystal Palace, Opoku at Leicester City. Uh, you have guys like Franzi Piero, who signed straight uh, Belgian top division. Joe Bell signed in uh, Norway. Uh, you had Camara sign in Bundesliga. Like, it's, it's a great market and more clubs, you know, with the success of guys like uh, Jack Harrison, Tim Ream, all these guys, you know, clubs now in Europe 
know that there's an untapped market out in college where they can sign guys who are ready to make you know an impact but the clubs in Cyprus they'll always be entitled to their uh to their five percent um from there on you know they're not entitled to anything anyway and um I think it's fair you know at the end of the day um they let the players go so you know um once you terminate someone's contract you shouldn't be uh entitled to anything further okay great great okay so here's a, here's a question that might be a little bit of a tricky one so I, I don't blame you if you don't want to answer this but from a financial perspective I, look i've got a few friends that coach in the united states and we're talking you know these these academies so it doesn't coach well one or two of them yeah. they don't coach in university by the coach academies and they tell me that it's so bloody expensive for kids to be in academies because they need to pay for their own kits etc now obviously yeah. you've got student fees in the united states and um accommodation fees so i'm assuming they stay within the halls of residence right yeah. so yeah do, how do how can these lads afford them is this a case of you know the parents have money or is it the, they take a loan or is it I, I don't know how it works so th this is the uh the personal question <laughs> i guess yeah. maybe yeah, i should yeah, be yeah. asking but... <laughs> uh no no i mean so okay as far as youth football in the states um it is very expensive because you pay to play uh however uh the mls academies are like any other academy in europe you don't pay for anything everything's covered by the club your school your housing and so on now in terms of how it works uh with college with university um each university is allowed uh 10 scholarships and athletic scholarships which they can distribute uh, any way they want so you could have a full scholarship you could have 20 guys on 50 percent but when you add all of them up at any given time it's a maximum of 10. Uh, and the reason is so that it's it's balanced you know um it's essentially it's like a salary cap which they have in other uh sports so it's a maximum of 10 um athletic scholarships football scholarships um there are ways though for example let's say Costandino Christou um cause because he had good grades in high school he also gets an academic scholarship so cause is on a full scholarship everything's covered for it. um a full scholarship covers tuition accommodation meals uh insurance all of his equipment uh they're sponsored by Nike um plus pocket money on top of the scholarship um but for cost, for example, it's like 80% athletic scholarship, 20% uh, academic. So he was an even more attractive player for the coaches there because not all of the money would have to come out of their of their budget. Now, to get that type of scholarship where like Andreas Evangelo, Andreas is on a full scholarship as well. Andreas costs 10% of the team's budget. So they want someone who's going to come in and be a key player from from day one right okay okay that makes sense that makes sense okay brilliant brilliant now on to an easier question to answer what about the cultural difference because they're going from cyprus to the big us us of a now look 
I'm sure they've been away on holiday before to, to other countries, but the States, as you know, massive. How yeah. have they been able to settle, especially if they don't have other Cypriots around them? Look, um, it is very different. Um, but I would say the good thing in terms of adapting is that Americans are very warm and welcoming people. Um, so it's much easier than, you know, uh, Western Europe in terms of, you know, people welcoming you there. Um, now, the biggest differences uh, culturally in terms of the football culture, uh, the U.S. is quite British in how they like their football, how they interpret it. You know, it's high intensity, um, very hardworking on the pitch, off the pitch, which we don't really have, you know, as, um, as Cypriots. But, you know, the most important thing for in terms of adapting is just realizing you're the foreigner. The Americans are not going to change for you. You're the one that has to change, you know. Um, they work a lot harder than us. That's the reality. So, you know, uh, and especially with the scholarships that the, a lot of the boys um, from Cyprus get, where they are the most expensive paid, you know, player on the team, you have to, you know, work hard. It's not just about being a, uh, a good player. Now, other differences in terms of the football part specifically, um, the rules in college soccer are a bit different. So the clock starts at 90 and it runs down. When the ball goes out, the clock stops. So it's similar to, to basketball. Um, in, um, in Cyprus, especially, you know, U19s and second division, I don't think we play more than, you know, 55, 50 minutes of uh, football. Whereas there, you know, the clock stops, so it's 90 minutes of football. And the other big difference is you're allowed to sub a player in, sub him out, and then sub him in again. So it's a bit, again, like futsal. So the, the tempo, it doesn't drop. So that takes getting used to. It takes getting used to also that it's a bit like uh, hockey or basketball where there's rotations. So, you know, you know you're going to play 10, 12 minutes, and the boys are like, well, why did he take me off after 10 minutes? What did he expect me to do in 10 minutes? Whereas, no, it's a 10-minute shift. You're meant to go in, do your best for 10 minutes, rest the other guy so he can be brought back on, which, you know, in basketball, you have that. In hockey, you have that. But uh, in football, obviously, that doesn't exist. So it, it, takes getting, it takes getting used to. And also, it's very hard on, you know, um, defenders especially because those guys never get subbed out, but they're always going up against someone uh, someone who's fresh. So, fresh, yeah. you know, I think that the clock, so you play more and also just the style is more English style. The referee is also more English style. So it's not like Cyprus where you get a lot of protection from the referees that you do need to get used to. Um, living in the US, I think that's the, the easy part. You know, it's they are very, very welcoming and also with the amount of money they invest in a player, they want to make sure that he's okay. So they'll help you, you know, 
with that transition to being a university student, to being away from your family, uh, and so on. The coaches that do their job well, uh, they'll they'll take care of that as well. Well, it's effectively an investment, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, like there's boys, you know, someone like Marco Kitromilidis, um, his scholarship was 85,000 a year for four years. So, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, good luck to him. Good luck to him. <laughs> okay. So the, the next subject, I guess we have to touch on the, uh, the Cypriot national team. Now, these guys have gone to the United States either to play football or to get uh, education or both. Now, yeah. do you think a lot of them have ambitions to play club football at the highest level and also play for the national team? Definitely. Um, and I mean, this year, I believe you have so Hajimitsis, Christu, Evangelou, Sava, um, Pandelis Gavril. So there, there's at least five players who were, you know, called up to the under-21 national team in June, which was, ah, Sergios Feneridis, so six. Uh, six players who were called up to the under-21 national team in June, uh, right before they went to the States. Uh, so you have six guys active with the under-21 national team. You've got two guys active with the under-19, Giorgos Kondilis, Tavros Karalambus, who were the starting duo in midfield. Um, I mean, of course, they want to keep being part of the national team setup at youth level and go on to play um, for the men's national team. Um, the reality is, previously, when guys went, even though they were active in the national team, once they went to the States, they were frozen out. Um, this year, there were attempts to bring players in. Um, However, logistically, it was difficult just because of the, um, the timing. So all these guys were freshmen and there was, a, I think the first call up of the under 21 national team was first week of September, which was, you know, first week of classes, second week of the season in the States. It really was bad timing for guys yeah. to leave right off uh, when they go. But in the spring, for example, um, there's no reason why not uh, calling them up, especially when these guys are playing regularly. Um, they are playing at a much higher level than under 19s in Cyprus, second division in Cyprus, which, you know, most of the guys in the national team, that's the level um, they are playing at. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's up to the, um, the federation, you know. Have they ever mentioned any concerns about their international future by going to the United States because bro look I'm be, I've been honest with you and maybe I'm way off base here but it just seems that unless you're an exceptional talent unless you're an exceptional talent if you're not based in Cyprus you've got no chance of making the under 21s and you've got no chance of making the national team um yeah I mean they do express concerns at the same time once they're there and they see what the U.S. has to offer. And also, like, for example, Christou, yesterday he was playing the number one team in the States. He scored the last goal of the game. 4,000 people, 20 scouts in the stadium. Yeah, he could have been in Cyprus and lose 9-0 to France. So, 
you know, I think players realize uh, what's best for them uh, once they're there. Um, now, of course, they want to play for the national team. It's a huge honor, but the way it is now, um, you know, our national team setup is then um, what it should be. So, okay, uh, I don't consider it, you know, I miss opportunity missing missing this uh, national team games as as bad as that sounds, you know. Um, a lot of things need to change um, in the whole structure, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And look, I'm sure you're probably fed up with me talking about the amount of British-based players we have out here that can play for the national team. You know, I was speaking to one the other day. I'm not going to mention his name, but. He's doing very, very well at the club that he's at. Professional, a very good level. I think you can guess who he is. But again, it, it just goes back to the old adage where I, I don't know whether it's just politics or whether it's just, or maybe it's, okay, I'm using the word alleged here, alleged, alleged corruption. I don't know what it is, but it just seems to me with what you're doing, you're actually assisting the development of these players, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, you're still doing it by giving them the opportunity to go to, as you quite rightly said, a bigger nation, more resources, better training from every element, from the technical to the tactical to the physical, everything. So you're giving them that opportunity by creating this, this organization of yours and, and helping them get their education as well, obviously. But, you know, you mentioned our boy playing in front of 4,000 people. You wouldn't have got 4,000 people in most of the Barathlin games. Let's get it right. No. And again, I mean, obviously, you know, if Kos was playing for Romonia the same way Karalambos Karalambos is, you know, fantastic for his development. But for most of these players, the reality is it's the second division and it's doing what, you know, Pavlidis was doing at Voxa last year, just, you know, being a quota just so playing, just so you don't, you know, pay the fine or, you know, uh, playing at these low level top division clubs, which it doesn't really get you somewhere. It's not an environment conducive to uh, developing as a player. So I'm not saying, you know, the U.S. is, uh, yeah, the greatest place for football development, but it's a lot better uh, than what we have. Um, I do think, you know, I mean, Greece called players to their under-21 national team that were playing in the U.S., uh, Iceland, Haiti, like Costa Rica. And I mean, you say, well, what about Costa Rica? Well, Costa Rica gets to the World Cup. They're far better than us. So, and they're higher up uh, in the FIFA rankings yeah. as well. And they play in the World Cup. Like, you got players from Costa Rica playing in the biggest leagues in the world. We don't. So if these countries, even the U.S. men's national team, few years back, Jordan Morris, he was a student at Stanford, and he was starting for the men's national team over Josie Altidore. And Josie Altidore was at Sunderland, you know, at his peak. So all these countries are calling up players to their under-21, to their men's national teams, whilst they're still in university. I think Cyprus could do it as well, you know. Um, but again... Like you say about the British players, it shouldn't be about familiarity. You know, uh, do your homework, see how they're doing in the U.S. Because there's also boys who went to the U.S. and they're doing far better 
than other guys who had you know more established reputation in Cyprus and so forth because players develop at different rates yeah and so forth so uh you know i mean there's players that were late bloomers or so on that are doing extremely well in the the us that were never considered whereas other guys who maybe you know don't even get playing regular time they are considered because there's already a degree of familiarity because they're already part of the uh, national team system Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, there's another question that just hit me, which I wanted to ask at the beginning, but that was the the national service, because obviously that's another thing. I've spoken to a few coaches in Cyprus. And they're like, still, you know, these youngsters, they train with the club, they study at college, then they've got to go in to do the national service a couple of days a week. And then it's, it's just very, very difficult. So how do you guys bypass that i mean obviously i know they're going away so is it a fact that if they ever go back to cyprus to live they have to do their service again yeah no um i mean the vast majority of boys who are in the states they'll do their service and once they do it uh, they'll go um or they'll do their military service start university in cyprus and then maybe 20 21 years old uh they'll go to the us now um there is a provision in the law that states, you know, um, if you do have a scholarship and it's an athletic scholarship, because, you know, academic scholarship, you'll have your grades next year. You can always go after the army. But an athletic scholarship, you might get injured. The team might not need that specific position. So it's, you know, there's a certain deadline um, for an athletic scholarship. Um, if it's a scholarship of a significant size, you're allowed to postpone your service uh, for the duration of your studies. And then once you finish your studies, then you'll have to come and uh, do your service. Okay, brilliant. And also, if there was someone that wanted to do a scholarship and come and came to you and said, you know, how, how do I do this? Is there a set of rules or, I don't know, permutations that they have to follow? In terms, I mean, I'm not talking about their criminal record or anything. Cause they're gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but <laughs> is there any, are there any steps that they need to follow to be able to, to qualify to get a scholarship? So as far as the academics um, are concerned, they, the universities in the States will look at your um, final four years of secondary education. So for someone going to a public school in Cyprus, that would be um, So, you know, the better your grades, the better options you'll have uh, in terms of uh, level of school academically, and also perhaps you can get a, an academic scholarship. Um, now, as far as the football is concerned, the reality is, you know, players don't work hard enough in Cyprus um and they don't start working hard early enough so physically we lack we lack a lot um like you'll see you know Cypriot players at 18 19 years old and they're physically they are still boys and that's why they go to the first team and they can't compete so you know they have to work you know so that 18 years old you have to be ready uh to compete against men because u.s college soccer it's men's football it's far more intense than cyprus because of how they play you know culturally uh, and so forth 
Um, and for me, what I tell people is if you are talking about Division One high scholarship, you have to be able to play at second division level in Cyprus and do well. And that might sound easy to people who are not familiar uh, with the second division, but it's not. For example, last year, if we are looking at 2004 borns, so boys who were in the army, I think the only two that played regularly was uh, Sergios Fenaridis at Mea and Stegios Vrondis at uh, Box. Two guys. So yeah, it's not it's not easy. And it's look, it's not because clubs don't give opportunity, it's not because there's so many foreign players, because those things don't apply in the second division. It's because players are not ready. And hey, you can blame the academy, you can blame the system, but at the end of the day, uh, it's up to the player to work more, to do more, because you know the academies are what they are, the system is what it is. It's not going to change. And we've been seeing this, you know, for generations and generations of players. So I tell guys, you have to be proactive. You have to work a lot harder than what you are doing right now. So that 18, 19 years old, you can go to the second division and compete against that level of player. Because that's what you are going to get in the in the States. Well, do you know, it's interesting you bring that up because obviously we've been critical of youth development in Cyprus and and I think rightly so but don't get me wrong I don't think that the blame is down to most of the coaches I think it's down to the lack of resources that they have but there's another side of the coin which we've been told about by numerous pro footballers and we're talking about players that have played at the highest level then have gone to Cyprus and they said right a lot of these youngsters have got the talent but they don't show the effort they don't show the effort. They don't want to go into to training early. They don't want to be the first ones in, the last ones out. They don't want to put in. Now, I don't know whether that's, again, a cultural thing. Maybe they feel, you know, whatever, I'm just playing football. I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm doing what I can. Or maybe they think that is, that's enough to get them to the next level. Look, it's, it's a tough one because... Um... I think it was different for older generations also because, like, growing up, you know, we would go to tournaments in Greece, for example, and we would get destroyed. And we have we would understand then that, you know, yeah, I'm good for Cyprus, but out there, no, I'm not good. Nowadays, you know, it's like the Agia Napa tournament where it's Cypriots playing against Cypriots and Cypriots thinking, you know, I'm the best player in the world because as far as they know, they are. You know, they've never faced anyone uh, better than them. And they do get uh, complacent. But at the end of the day, the issue is the Cypriot players are not good enough. That's the problem. Now, Cypriot players not playing, the national team being what it is, that's the symptom of the Cypriot footballer not being good enough. There's... You know, the reality, there's no simple solution. I think in Cyprus, we often try to uh, find like uh, one thing to fix everything. And that doesn't exist. And also we have very short term memory. So we try things that we did four years ago and failed. But, you know, then we did the complete opposite. And now we're going back to that. Um, like. As you said, youth development, there's issues with it. 
there's a lack of resources. Yes, we do have rules that don't make sense. For example, the under 22 rule, like having an unlimited number of pointers. That's, I think, I don't know any other country that has that. But at the end of the day, the issue is secret footballer right now, not good enough and not ready. Because, of course, there are some guys who are good enough. Uh, there's guys that are like the boy who played uh, uh, Abuelo Fellos the other day, Katif Gis. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's too few of those guys. So that's one issue. And the other issue is they are not ready at 17, 18, 16, 19. So um, once we admit that, and we accept that, then we can start addressing all the other issues because I think we're we are in denial of the main problem. You know, yeah, if it wasn't gets Paya or this and that, but the reality is, you know, we don't have a right back who's good enough for international level. You know, we don't have a lot of positions, you know, like uh, players with levels. So once we accept that, you know, and, and the players are the last to blame in this process. Um, once we accept that the secret player is not good enough, then you can start fixing things. Because right now, I think we are focusing on the wrong areas. Like, uh, it's not about the rules. And it's not about, um, you know, meshing the youth national teams. And it's not, you know, no, the secret player is not good enough. And... He's not in a position to compete with uh, foreign players. So how do we how do we fix that? That's for me. That's the the big question. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to sidestep a little bit, sidestep a little bit because you you mentioned something in terms of you know we don't have certain players in certain positions like the right back situation, which I kind of agree with in all fairness. But then when you look at the players that we do have available in, in certain positions and they aren't being selected, it, it, it fills me with a lot of anger. And I'll give you an example. The last game, we had Gogitz and Gibriano at centre-back. Both of them are central midfielders. Okay? Fine, no problem. If that's that's what Ken Spahr wanted to do, yeah. that's, that's his prerogative. But then when you look at the lad that, that's at Atletico Madrid that was in our under-21s, and he decided to choose Greece for various reasons. And I'm pretty sure that the guy that we've got in charge of the national team is one of the reasons. And I'm sure there are other reasons as well. But I'm sure he's got something to do with the lad defecting to Greece. This is what frustrates me because, okay, he may not be fully ready for first-team international football. But if he's good enough to play in the Champions League for Atletico Madrid, I'm pretty sure he's good enough to at least get half an hour against Georgia. No disrespect to Georgia. 20 minutes against Scotland, 15 against Norway. It's, it's little things like this which question... It's like the other side of the coin, as I said, you know? Yeah. Um, look, I mean... Can you blame him, though? And I think that's... No, I don't, I don't blame him. It's, it's going to happen more yeah. and more, you know, because I think, you know, like Okas, uh, you know, if he has a chance to play for Australia... Why wouldn't he? Uh, Forty play for Bulgaria. Uh, why wouldn't he? You know, I mean, and to be fair, like maybe that's inevitable. You know, like even if we're doing well, like if I can play for Greece, I'm gonna choose Greece over 
over Cyprus. And I, I can't blame a kid that, you know, I mean, he was born in Greece, his parents, his parents are Greek, um, and so forth. Like, I think some players inevitably we're going to uh, lose out on as, you know, it's a globalized world nowadays. Um, at the same time, that's why we can't afford not to call up maybe some British Cypriots. Um, but again, okay, we lost Costi, fine, you know? The issue is, if you look at who's another young centre-back, we don't really have anyone who has the level. I mean, that's like, uh, okay, I, I may be biased because uh, I sound Andreas Evangelou to the States, but for me, like, after Costi, it's Evangelou who's a year younger, but if you look at 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, it's Costi and Evangelou, the ones who have the potential to play, you know, not for Doxa, but play for a top six team in Cyprus. We have two guys. 2001 is Nicolas Panayodou. Like, when in five years, there's only three players that have the potential. Maybe they won't even make it, but there's three guys that have the potential actually play you know uh at a high level that's you know we're doing something wrong you know uh that's just the the reality of it well this is a conversation i've, I've had with many people and you know again i'm going to talk about a cuff for a, a brief second because he's playing premier league two which is a higher level than the brathlima let's get it right it's, it's a higher level than a lot of the obscure leagues across europe and i think we can agree with that so surely it would make sense to call him up to the national team, give him his cap at a competitive game, like a qualifier. So you've cemented him as a Cypriot player. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's you want to trick guys into being committed for the national team. Look, like like if you want to play for Cyprus, uh, play for Cyprus, you know. Um, I get where you're coming from. At the same time, I think, you know, um, we'll take the guys that want to be here. Um, okay, what, what, I, what I will say I don't like about that approach is just that it cheapens the national team, which we have done a lot of. For example, uh, you know, like Yannis Achas, he was called up to the men's national team before he played an official game for Apple. The national team, and you're calling up an 18-year-old with zero professional games because he's done well in a friendly. Or Haralambos Haralambos, fantastic player, but at the time of his call-up, he had played like 25 minutes in the top division the week before. Suddenly, 25 minutes is enough to get you in the national team. Or you have these call-ups like Tomas Nicolao, Katsandonis, they train with the national team. They are early top division players or at least they haven't proven yet that they are even you know mm -hmm. adequate to play at the top division Michalis Ioannou was starting for the national team at 18 and it's taken him six more years to get anywhere near the standard of the national team so I think you know um calling players who haven't really Earned it on the one side, yeah, we say we want to go with the uh, youth and so on. But at the same time, it cheapens the national team because the national team should be the top of the top of Cypriot football. And, you know, like 
if Apoel won't play you at 18, how do you get in the the national team? You know, like yeah. Uh, yeah. for me as a as a fan of the national team, because I, I am a fan of the national team, you know, that's like the team I would support. I find it, you know, like you would never do this if you were coaching at club level. You know, start Mihalis Ivanu at 18 years old at right back. So why are you doing that yeah. for the national team, you know? The, the, the thing is, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, right? And again, I, I've got no problem with um, nationalizing foreign players. But when you call up the likes of Roberge and more, look, I like Joel. I got I get on with him very well. So I've got yeah. nothing against him. But does that not cheapen it then? Because you're not you're not using... Okay, of course proper, it does. You know what I mean? No, of co- uh, look, of course it does. And especially... Um... Look, even Joel, probably he's the best um, Cypriot goalkeeper available. Of course, 100%. But Joel, Joel was playing for teams that got relegated. You know, I mean, that's where he left us. So it's not like that we are even nationalizing, you know, like Spoljaric, he was the best player of Apollon. Gorgitz, of course, he was the best player, striker of that decade alongside Raufman. But... Um, we are at the point where we have to nationalize guys that are playing for clubs that are getting relegated. So, you know, uh, of course it cheapens it. Um, at the same time, what's the alternative? Calling up, I mean, there's no superior goalkeeper that is playing. So, and then the alternative, like we called up Haralambos, was it Kiriagi? Kiriagi of Omonia. Yeah. Who Yes, he was choice. starting for the national team and he hadn't played a single game in his life, literally. So, and again, he's like, made, I think... He's made his debut like three years ago, I think. About three years ago? He played for the national team before he played for, you know, yeah. and, and this isn't a new problem because, like, uh, Tasos Gisas, before he went to Salamina, up until he was at Abolon, there was a point in time, I remember, he had, like, 17 appearances with the national team and at club level he had played like 14 games which must be a a world first but (laughs) you know it's i think focusing on individuals focusing on the coach it ignores the point that well there's no good superior goalkeeper like that's that's the reality and you might say yeah uh, fitos mihail and of course yeah fitos is decent but there's a reason why he's not started at club level yeah. for any club. He didn't start for Olympiagos, he didn't start for Aris, he had half a season at Salamina. Um, I mean, you know, like, we need to produce better players than what we are producing uh, right now and increasing the fines or having, you know, um, like, mandatory, you have to start four players and so on. It doesn't raise the level of player, it just prolongs the career of certain guys, um, and it allows mediocre players to get overvalued because you need to be starting uh, Cypriots. And the issue for me is is youth development, like the players, uh, the work that's being done. Maybe due to a lack of resources, maybe to uh, lack of resources and other reasons. Um, we have guys that not enough good guys and not enough guys that are 
already at 17, 18, 19, because I, I see them, you know, like the reality is even for the universities, like uh, I mentioned before, there's six boys from an under 21 national team that went to the uh, States. Only two of them are playing regularly as freshmen. Only two of them are starting every game as freshmen. And these are the best of the best that we have going to universities, you know, not going to top division clubs or clubs abroad. They are going to universities and they're still, they're extremely talented, uh, but they're not ready yet, you know, and that's down to the work that's being done at uh, the academies, the system itself. There's too many clubs. It's not competitive enough for the good players. Like the best players in the under 19s league are always 16 years old. They're not 17, they're not 18. And because they start regressing, because even if you don't want they're to, you early. get complacent. Yeah, they well, it's not about picking. It's at 16, you're the best player, and there's no more challenge, because at 16, the best Cypriot players are ready to go to the second division, but they don't go. They stay, and they're not going to start at 16 in the second division, but they can still, you know, play off the bench, make an impact, train at that level every day and be counted on. Cause you know, when you go to the first team of Apoel at 16, you're not really trained. You're making up the numbers, you know, like if you are number 26, 27, 28 on the roster, you are not trained. Training is for 22 players. So, um, they stop developing at 16. Because uh, at 16, the way the league is, the under-19s league is, it stops being uh, challenging for them. That's that's a very, very fair point. And um, look, I, we've gone almost an hour, my goodness. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, because I think <laughs> we can talk all day about this, or all night, should I say. But look, just just to reiterate, I mean, I'm, I've got no problem with nationalising foreign players if they're good enough. And I've been speaking for months about getting Morgan Brown into to the national team because I think he could do a job. Personally, I think he's better than a lot of the midfielders that we've got available. But that's just my opinion, and I'm being biased here. Um, but I agree with you that, that not more needs to be done. But if I asked you, where do we begin? It's almost as if you don't know where to start, really, because, you, you know, one hand washes the other, both wash the face. But where where's, it's coming from all angles, honestly. Well, that's the thing, though, like where we start from is admitting that Cypriot players are not good enough. Everything else is a symptom of that. When we accept that Cypriot players are not good enough, that's when we can start addressing the issues. Because I think right now, again, you look at the experience of Idivis of PASP, you know, I heard him on the radio and he was saying, this is not the level of the Cypriot player. No, and this then, is exactly Gop, the level of the Gop came out with a Gop came out with a with a statement absolutely lambasting the guy for having an opinion. But I mean the reality it is the level of the superior player, you know? Like that's why we lost nine nil to France, that's why our men's national team has lost to Jordan, Luxembourg, Malta, and not just lost, yeah. they embarrassed us. Like yeah. you know, that's the level of secret player it's not a new thing like because again like if you know like if i think um like the last 
15 years like secret strikers. Geros, Titas, Kagulis, fair enough. After them, in 15 years. And then you go like Nestoras Mitidis, Kolokudia, Zurutas, you know. It's, it's a problem. We have to admit it. You know, like yeah. we are not producing uh, enough players. Once we accept that, then okay, a lot of things have to change. Um, well, Phil, when you say when we yeah. need to accept, are, are we talking about everyone in general? Is this just like you know the the FAs, the the clubs? Because listen, I'm going to be brutal, brutally honest here. We're almost as bad as San Marino. Okay, we're almost as bad as San Marino, and San Marino's players aren't professionals. Exactly. Exactly. But look, I mean, a lot of the Cypriot players are not professional. And I mean it in the sense of making your living out of football. I mean, right. you have a lot of guys. Let's, for example, uh, Valentinos Pastelli, who's been doing great for Zagagi. You know, he works as a team man. Yeah. I heard and, that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I heard that. So, you know, like, that's where our football has gotten like part-time a lot of part-time players play in our top division at the lower level clubs so um you know uh, where do we start from you have to scratch a lot of things now and the who's we well the federation needs to accept it first the players also because i think again we're in denial and it doesn't shoot anyone because in other countries, you know, you have a separation of elite sports and grassroots level sports. And, yeah, of course, you want as many kids to play, to enjoy football. It's good for socializing, health, etc., etc. But that's, you know, one part of what the FA has to do. The other part is elite development. These two can't go together, and they don't go together in any country. In Cyprus, we've mixed it up, and essentially what we have is just grassroots sports. sports. You know, that's all the FA does. So, you know, when at under-19s level, we've got three divisions. Why? You know, like, there's barely, like, in any given age group in Cyprus, you will struggle to find... 25 half decent players that's the reality so why do we have three leagues with 14 teams each under the federation now have it run it separately so people can stay active people can enjoy it but if you're talking about elite level you need a lot less teams you need to license academies courts have academies so kids can go and enjoy and parents pay and it's it's great that this industry exists but Elite level academies, you know, have eight of them. They play each other. They are licensed, like they have to be abroad where you have, you know, you need to have this many coaches. You have to follow, you know, uh, this particular training schedule. So, for example, like in the Netherlands, in order to have a, an academy that's licensed up until the age of 13, they all follow the same curriculum. So it doesn't matter where you're at, that player is going to have a baseline level, a baseline understanding of football, and so on, because they all get the same training. You don't want to do it, you don't get a license, you can't operate an academy. But in order to do that, again, you have to start separating grassroots 
and elite level sports and it would cost a lot of money to a lot of people because right now you know um academies are a huge industry and you know you have this then cottage industry of personal trainers technique coaches and so forth you know and for me we treat football for boys it's come to be a bit like you know every girl in cyprus does ballet but there's no expectation and there's no chance that she's from uh, you know bolshoi in russia or be a professional that's how we are treating uh football right now you know it's we pay our son goes there he spends his afternoons fantastic and then you have some boys that really work that are really talented that have what it takes and they are being held back because their teammates are all these guys that are just paying to to be there you know it's like when my aunt used to give me a five pounds or five bendeliras worth of 20 cents because it's very stereo are they been the manamu in the bexis jagani you know to get it out of your system but, that but that's what it is you know and in england if you're in an academy it's like the 100 i'm going to be a pro footballer that's the the mindset whereas in cyprus you have kids in the under 19s of the big clubs who don't care less you know mm. and yeah you shouldn't be in the academy of omonia if abuelo vanostosi if you don't live and breathe football 24 7 you know yeah absolutely well, Phile, I'll tell you what, this has been a, a fantastic discussion and I really hope we can continue this another time because I'm sure you've got a lot more to say. I've got a lot more questions to ask anyway. But before we wrap it up, where can we find, or the viewers, find your website, all the other socials, everything to, to get in touch with you? Or maybe there might be some parents that, or some students, I guess, that want to do scholarships in the United States and go through you. Yeah, of course. So it's uh, jsascholarships.com and twitter facebook uh instagram it's at jsa scholarships lovely and all of that is going to be put in the description i hope we could do this again honestly because i want to get more people on as well because i've got friends that are academy coaches in the uk cypriots that i'm sure will have loads of questions to ask you and i'm pretty sure you might want to discuss certain things with them so i think this is a good uh a good bit of groundwork for what we can do in the future. But you're constantly going back and forth from the United States. So we'll do it at a time that suits you, clearly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> be very difficult. Well, that's it from us, That'd boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back very, very soon. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter, at This Is Mappa. We'll also on Instagram, at This Is Mappa, standard. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and we'll, we'll be, we will be back. We will be back. I can't even get the words out of my mouth, and I live in the UK. We'll be back very soon. Hade, goodbye.